And I was struggling back and forth with whether or not I should go because it cost money and I had a career and a financial plan and, you know, I had my life or organized and what I was going to do and he didn't know it and I didn't let on that it meant anything to me. But when I got out to my car with my wife, I said, what do you think? <laughs> she said, looks like you're going to school. I said, yes. So I went to the school of for a supernatural ministry. I did that for three years, and it totally changed my life. I was an electrician all my life. I didn't know anything about anything. Uh, but, man, that just totally changed my life. I just want to honor John Holbrook. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, so, uh, you know, part of the fruit of revival, uh, I went to Randy Clark School. He had a part of the Toronto Blessing, and uh, he said, you know, he got a lot of criticism for things that went on there, but he said the real test of the move of God is to see the fruit that happens. Churches get formed and missionaries take place. People go overseas. And right now, we have uh, missionaries overseas. I've been overseas, and uh, I believe we're in the, in the front beginning of a revival right here in the North Country. So praise God. Amen. So uh, Jim Elliott was a... Um, a missionary. He died in the mission field. Jim Elliott said that his quote is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's talking about losing your life and gaining eternal life. In the story of the prodigal son, when the younger son came home, the dad said, your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. You know, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that comes to faith in, in, with 99 angels than there is, or I'm sorry, in the presence of angels than there is uh, 99 righteous people. Recently, when I returned from, I was there in Africa, I was with my friend Vince Seller, M-O-R dot faith, and we saw all sorts of miracles happen. It was awesome, a great time, but it was one of the hardest things I ever did. Going to Africa and uh, being in the mission field is hard work. It's, uh, it's not easy. It was no vacation. You run across a lot of things that you, you uh, don't expect, and the, the presence of the demonic forces are active, and, the, and you can actually feel them. I'm, I'm what they call a feeler. I can feel people's emotions. I can feel pain in their body and uh, I can feel the demonic presence often and we f saw and felt a lot of that in Africa hallelujah but we dealt with it and a lot of people's lives were changed we took 40 uh, Bibles 20 of them in Swahili language and 20 of them in English and we blessed the people in Africa praise God with the word of God and the kingdom was advanced that's the that's the whole idea Today's message I'm going to talk about is, I titled it, The War on Pride. The first passage I have is John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. In John 15, 14, he says, ye are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus said, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. When Paul talked in 2 Timothy 4 about 
remaining faithful. He was talking about, he was guarding his faith like a soldier would guard his post against enemy attack. Today we're celebrating Veterans Day. I'm a vet. I served in the Army, did my basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, and then I went on to AIT schooling at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. The first day of boot camp, we had to surrender all our street clothes. Everything was stripped away, and it was all replaced. Everything we needed for U.S. military life was provided for us. We had dog tags. That was our identity. We were given boots, food, blankets, housing, health care, even money. I was told by the drill sergeant, go appropriate your stuff, private. I said, yes, drill sergeant. What does that mean? He said, go pick up your stuff. I said, yes, drill sergeant. I had a lot to learn going into the Army. Instantly, we were cast into a whole new way of living. We were taught how to follow orders with yes, drill sergeant, no, drill sergeant. When we saw an officer, it was yes, sir, no, sir. You know, Jesus had an encounter with a military officer. It's called a centurion. One account of it is over in Matthew 8, 5 through 9. Now, when Jesus had entered in Capernaum, a centurion, a Roman captain, came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is at home, paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. You know, Jesus had such compassion. I'm under the impression here that they didn't really know each other yet. But what they knew is that he recognized each other, that they were serving a government in a realm of authority. Both of them were. The centurion answered to the Lord and said, I am not worthy that you should come to under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. I want to stop right here. Because I believe this is where you first see that Jesus got a glimpse of this man's heart. When he said, for I also am a man under authority. How many of you here today could say that you are under authority? When I look at these two men's lives, they were both under authority. They were both subjects to the commands of another. That's what being under authority means. They knew how to obey. The Sertorian went on to say, I also have men under me, soldiers who are accustomed to obedience. I tell them to go, and they do it. The Sertorian went on to say, I also have men under me, Soldiers who are accustomed, oh, I just said that, yeah, to everything I do, everything I say, they do it. In effect, what the centurion was saying is that men, if men obey me, an inferior officer who's subject to a higher authority, how much more should sickness and disease obey you, the Son of God, the original source of power and life? When Jesus heard it, he marveled. He said to those that are following, Surely, 
I tell you, I haven't found such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus called what the centurion soldier understood as great faith. They shared a unified doctrine, a belief in a willingness to be under authority. And then confidently operating under authority. All the orders that the centurion gave when he gave to his people under him, all his orders came from above. He also was following orders. He speaks out of his mouth to a person, go, and a person goes. He says, come, and the person comes. Stop, and they stop. He's operating and giving commands because he's subordinate to a higher authority. He gives orders because he's charged with a task himself. He has a mission. There's a purpose behind what they both are doing. And in unity with the governing power above them, he gives out the command to accomplish the mission. When I was in the Army in basic training, there were people that just couldn't cut the mustard. They didn't like what they got themselves into. And one of them, the day we were handed our rifle, the M16, he was told to carry his weapon. And he said, I will not carry that weapon. And when they asked him why he wouldn't carry it, he said, I am opposed to killing people. What was really going on was when he saw that weapon for the first time, he was faced with the reality that he too could be shot and killed. So he was opposed to death, his own death. Sometimes we make grand declarations and commitments of service, but then we stumble over the simplest request. Anyway, the drill sergeant said, Private, you have volunteered to join the U.S. Armed Forces to defend this nation with your weapon and your life. You know, it may have been that he was just looking for some of the benefits of military life, like a paycheck, insurance, maybe even a retirement plan. There may be some of you here today that you, haven't realized what, you didn't realize what you got called into when you gave your yes. Some of you may know Jesus as Savior, but you may not know him as King. You may not know him as Lord, Master, ruler of your life. Are you willing to follow him? You may not realize it, but we're all in training in the Christian life. The process is one of sanctification, where we grow into the realities of the kingdom of God. To have a kingdom, you must have a king. And the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come. The Christian life is a form of basic training in that sense. We're all in service. And being in service is a constant test of your will. It can be one of the most difficult and costly decisions you'll ever make. And if you're here today and you haven't made that decision, I'm going to invite you to have an opportunity to come forward tonight and make that decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord 
and your Savior. And if you've already done that, I'm going to ask you to rededicate your life if you want to. Come forward at the end of this message. But here's the good news. God will equip you for the life of service with his enabling power. Everything will be provided for you, but you must appropriate your stuff. The Bible's full of stories of men and women just like you that appropriate the fullness of God. Life of service is a constant test of your will. There will be times where you hit a point where you don't think you can go on any further. You'll be pushed to the breaking point and you'll be asked to keep going. Luke 9:23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, when a person carried the cross in Jesus' day, nobody thought of it as a piece of jewelry or some symbolic burden. No, to the person in Jesus' day, the cross meant one thing, death by crucifixion. To carry the cross was to face the most painful and humiliating means of death human beings have ever invented. Ever since Adam's sin, every human being is guilty of disobedience insubordination to God's laws. God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. He was buried and raised on the third day, according to Scripture. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost with power to live out the Christian life of service. Scripture teaches us it was for our sins that he died. He didn't deserve to die. He was sinless. But the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for a debt that we owed, a debt for our sins. His sacrifice, through his sacrifice, we inherit the blessings of Jesus as children in the kingdom of God. It's a free gift. It can only be received by grace and faith. He provided forgiveness for sins, for all who will believe on the name of Jesus. And that means you. Everyone within the sound of my voice, Jesus is calling. Come home. Sinner, come home. Come home. That box right there is full of names of people we're praying for to come home. Come home. Sinners, come home. Praise Jesus. Jesus provided a way for man to be freed from the penalty of sin. It was the just for the unjust. The cross of Jesus Christ that we're being asked to carry is vital for our salvation. 
Jesus' commandment to take up your cross and follow me is a call to self-sacrifice. It's a call to be willing to die. It's an act of surrender. It's a decision to follow authority. To follow Jesus, we surrender our lives to God. Take away my sins, my old filthy street clothes. Baptize me out of the old worldly way. Resurrect me into the new life of service to the Lord, ruler of my life. I surrender all my rights. I transfer the ownership of my life. My army training was to prepare me for the battle ahead, to win in conflict, and to follow the commands from above. And to do that, we relied on each other. We were in unity in our group. We were a close-knit bunch in our platoon. I came to know personally the lives of every soldier in my platoon. There was such unity in the army. I made friends. I mean real close friends. We had a love for one another. I knew they would never leave me behind. I knew they had my 6 o'clock, my backside. They would defend me when I couldn't see. When I was vulnerable, they would risk their life to save my life. They would carry me when I couldn't stand or go forward. They were not serving me. They were my friends. Over the past year, I feel like the Lord's talking to me a lot here at ACF about two particular topics. One of them is unity. It's said a lot of ways, but it's best summed up with better together. The other theme that I hear the Lord speaking to me about is in the area of humility and how beautiful it is when it's displayed here at ACF, and we see it all over the place. To me, it's inspiring, and it makes me want to be part of the mission. So I'd like to talk about two things that come against Unity and humility. These two things are rebellion and pride. Unity is based on the essentials of our faith. Every individual believer is part of the body of Christ. We're not trying to be part of the body. We are part of the body. Ephesians 1.5 tells us that we've been adopted into the family through Christ. But the heartbeat of rebellion and pride is a lack of trust in God. It's a belief that we can do better ourselves without God. 1 Samuel 15, 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. Everybody say, rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. Rebellion is witchcraft. Witchcraft and rebellion are two tremendous potentials. 
Think of it as a teeter-totter. It doesn't matter which one you push on. At the center of them is control. Witchcraft is an attempt to control people. This is the one definition that I like. Witchcraft is an attempt to control people, to make them do what you want by any spirit that is not of the Holy Spirit. Witchcraft and rebellion are acts of the flesh. And it can happen when we try to take matters into our own hands. In the ministry of healing and deliverance, I study to become a practitioner in these areas. One of the most interesting things that I found in the occult practices of witchcraft is when initiating individuals into a coven, a group of people practicing how to be involved in witchcraft, the leader will take the people out and encourage them to take drugs and get engaged in illicit sex, to get drunk, to steal, and to rob and carry out a bunch of different other acts that violate the laws of the land and the laws of God. They're taught how to rebel, how to break the law. They're taught that the more they rebel, the more power they will get. And it's true because of the principle of rebellion and witchcraft is centered on control. Satan makes evil look desirable and good. It's an attempt to lure us into bondage by dangling the hook of self-government. The history of mankind is to think that freedom means to live however you want. But this is actually how you come into bondage. Satan asked the first question in the Bible. Indeed, has God said? You see, rebellion and pride is mostly a decision of the mind. How have you come to this conclusion? What are you basing your decision on? What actions are you taking based on your decision? You see, Jesus Christ made us free from the law of sin and death. You were bought with a price, a price of valuable consideration, the blood of Jesus, an atoning sacrifice, a ransom. You are not your own. The Bible says glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Your body, your external life, your food, your sexuality, your comfort, your possessions. All the things that go on in your external life. Your spirit is your internal life. It's your connection with God. It's the innermost part of your being. It's the source of your identity, your attitude, your speech, your thinking. And it can be changed by the renewing of your mind. When we use the term, I gave my life to Jesus or I gave my life to God, that means you're not your own. In a sense, you're not. All your rights have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
A born-again believer makes Jesus his owner of his life. He's the resource for everything. Everything we need is found in Jesus. He's the provider for everything. He owns us, and he provides for us. It's a simple life in the kingdom, but it isn't easy. We've been we've transferred our rights, we transfer our honor and our reputation. Our honor and reputation are basically the same thing. He's now responsible for my reputation and my honor. Lord, I give you my honor and my reputation. He owns my rights to my money. He owns the rights to my car. He owns the rights to my house. All my stuff, I hand it over to him. Lord, it's now yours. Here it is. It's all yours now. He's the owner and the provider of all my things, all my rights. I've given them all up. He's the new king on the throne. All my well-being, all my security, all my honor, all my future, I've given it to him. The Bible talks a lot about humility and humbling yourself. But how do we actually do that? If I've made Jesus my Lord and someone accuses me and they make accusations against me, they say, Dean Morrow is a real loser. He's done this and he's done that. And I say, how dare you accuse me of that? I demand honor. The Lord would say to me, stop, stop. Dean, I own you. You're mine. I own your reputation. I own your truck. I own your car. I own your money. I own your house. I own your business. I own your ministry. So sit down. Or in the military, we'd say stand down. Sit down, and I will talk to that person and I'll take care of it. And so I say, Lord, will you do that anytime soon? He says, no, but I will take care of it. You see, the Lord and I have two different agendas. My immediate agenda is to have honor, is to have money, is to have possessions, and to be in control. His agenda is to develop meekness, humility in me so that I can grow in much more humility and prosperity and be promoted because he wants me to have my whole inheritance without it injuring me. So he tells me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to not insist on it. I want you to release it. I want you to let it go. Let me take care of it. If we give up our rights and we don't rebel, we ask him to protect us and provide for us, this is called humility. It's called the decision of humility. When we demand to get our honor, 
we demand our rights, we demand and we don't obey, we're saying this is my money, this is my honor, I want my comfort. This is called rebellion and pride. Because pride demands it. And rebellion, witchcraft, wants control. Here's the thing. If God owns me, and he does, and if you come along and you take my money that I've given to God, you've actually taken God's money. I don't fight you for it to get my money that belongs to God. He'll fight you for it to get back my money. I'll wait and I'll bless you and I'll trust him. When I do this, I'm blessing my enemies. I don't, we don't fight for it ourselves. We trust God and he will get into the battle for us. This is the posture of obedience and humility. If you've really given God all your money and all your honor to him, it's now up to him to protect it and to get it for you and to give it to you. In his timing, he'll expand your territory. And in the spirit of humility and prosperity, he'll equip you for your whole inheritance. Everything that's laid up for you in the kingdom will be available for you now. The process of humility is to protect you so that when you do come into the fullness of your inheritance, you won't be hurt by it. It won't harm you because of your growth and grace and humility. When we cease to rebel and come under authority, we're putting ourselves in a place where we can win, when we do that, where we can win the war on pride and march in humble unity. It's simple, but it isn't easy. I would recommend, if you haven't read 1 Peter, you should read all of 1 Peter, because that's kind of where I got most of this inspiration. If you sign up and list in the service of the Lord, you'll have plenty of opportunity to grow in humility. There'll be plenty of opportunity to be, to be mistreated. But God wants to see how you carry your heart when you're mistreated. It's especially difficult in the body of Christ when people with pockets of pride rule over us, and we all have pockets of pride, when we get offended It's in these times that you're being tested to see what you're made of. God is raising up and calling forth his victorious end-time army for the deliverance of souls, cities, and nations who love not their own lives unto death. Now, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm of the holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand.
Praise Jesus. The sacrifice of the cross is meant to be a deeply spiritual and personal act. We bring our entire being, including our bodies, into alignment with God's will. Now, to all the saints within the sound of my voice, please rise to your feet. Attention! Attention on deck. Thank you for your service. Now, for anybody here that has not given their life to the Lord, you're welcome to come here to the left, the right side of the stage. And if you would like to dedicate your life again to the Lord Jesus Christ and make Him ruler, Lord of your life, you'll come to the left side of the stage. And if you're here for healing, we have a ministry team here that would love to pray for you. Thank you.